the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're taking a trip down memory lane for Detective Kurt Wallander in Netflix's origin story, Young Wallander. Getting our collective asses to Mars with Hilary Swank in a way and accompanying Maisie Williams on a rather unorthodox rampage of revenge in assassin comedy, Two Weeks to Live. I'm James Dyer and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, the show that helps young TV assassins navigate the endless hordes of humdrum TV henchmen to zero in on a mark worthy of your viewing bullets. Joining me this week as we attempt to thin the viewing herd are my two co-hosts. First up, a man whose reliability was soundly called into question last week when, after 99 episodes of proclaiming that Seinfeld is his favourite TV show of all time, it didn't even make his top five. It's boy. <laughs> Hilton. Yeah, that was a shock to me as much as anyone else. Yeah. Jerry Seinfeld is not happy. I mean, if they'd been a top six, then it would, it would have been in there. <laughs> yeah, if it had been a top six, then your favourite TV show of yeah. all time might have made the cut. Right, yeah, right. okay, I yeah. see what you're saying. I see what you're saying. Uh, joining us both this week is not Terry White, who is still off on holiday, and also, I should point out, got engaged this Yay. week, so a massive congratulations <laughs> to Terry. Big TV news. Yes, big TV news. Uh, standing in for the bride-to-be once more is a woman who, last week, faded in and out of the podcast like some kind of rogue West Country TARDIS but we'll hopefully <laughs> stay with us a little bit more this week. It's Beth Webb. Beth, can you hear us? Can you hear us? Can you hear us? Like, you just saying it, please don't. I think we all went on a journey last week. I'll tell we you did. what, my version of hell is looking into the beautiful, soulful face of Tom Ellis and not being able to hear a word that he's saying. Like, hell on earth. Oh. But I'm here today, just fingers crossed, the curse stays away for the next hour or two but yeah hello it was a bit like a seance it was like is anybody there beth oh, can you hear us it was very i was you know. worried i was worried that listeners would think we'd, we'd deliberately shut you up and not let you ask any questions yeah Tom Ellis, but which is a man explaining over you <laughs> yeah exactly yeah i was horrified i was like um no no oh god no <laughs> strictly technical but yes thank you i'm thrilled to be back i'm thrilled for terry what great news i got a little yes. bit emotional uh Did when you? I found that yeah because yeah. of the rocky reference that her uh hubs to be used that's that's very, right. very Terry. He ran up a flight of steps, he punched some sides of beef, and then he proposed. <laughs> As all great marriages begin. Oh, uh, Beth, I'm very yeah. aware, and a lot of people complained on Twitter last week, that uh, your top five shows did not make the final cut of the podcast. So I do feel at this oh. point that, you know, very quickly, why don't you run through your top five shows <laughs> just for posterity so it is on the record okay we will do I'm glad it didn't make it as well because I was very stressed when I come back on <laughs> so I was sort of talking very rushly like someone was pointing a gun to my head but um, yeah so top five what we went for in the end and thank you to the people that asked I'm thrilled that people are interested uh, in my point of view but we had uh, so a new one I had I May Destroy You which mm -hmm. someone was like oh that's quite a new show but that's just how much I love it um, I had The Simpsons just it's The Simpsons it's the Simpsons. I had Atlanta, um, the Donald Glover for, uh, show, and I had Mad Men, and I had Buffy. There we go. And Buffy, Buffy. Just, mm. just to rub it into Boyd for not having watched it, we have Buffy <laughs> on the list. That's a good top it's five. One of my Did you see at the Edinburgh TV Festival? I'll be talking about Edinburgh TV Festival a bit later. Maybe I might do a special news, uh, news burst of Edinburgh-based <laughs> stuff. But um, one of the sessions, um, Russell T Davis said that I may destroy you was not only the best written show of the year or that he'd seen in a while. He said it was the best written show of his lifetime. Wow. I thought, wow. Well, I, I concur. I mean, I wrote about it in the magazine when we were doing best shows of the year. Mm. And I said, I think curriculum level telly 
like absolutely i think it's that important so good on your wrestle so i've been conspicuously silent every time yes. boyd and terry went yes. off on this show i'm bang not about it because i it's not that i didn't like it it's that i watched the first episode and have no wish to watch anymore and i think and i've never gone back to it so i've still only seen the first episode of that show and now i'm feeling like i kind of have to like i'm yes, gonna have do. to watch this before we do yes, our do. final review of the year list but yes. it's just i found it I don't like anything with sexual assault in it. I just find it upsetting. And I didn't, mm. I found it a little bit depressing. And I also found the characters a little bit unlikable as well. So I, I, it didn't grip me in the way that it clearly has every other right-minded person in the world. So I do think I need to go back to it. I think it's just one of those ones, regardless of opinion, because I got in a bit of a huff of my brother where he was saying, oh, I'm not getting on the bandwagon with this. But I think it's one of those shows <laughs> that is, it's genuinely bigger than us. Yeah. <laughs> it's like bigger than our thoughts and opinions. And it's really important to watch, I think. Mm. I see. I feared it might yeah. destroy me. And I think ultimately that's why I didn't watch it. It's weird that you can't bring yourself to watch this stuff. You'd watch like horror films with the most grotesque violence. You you know, you're happy with that, but you, you kind of have the, you draw the line. I mean, obviously it's it's distressing. It's it's meant to be yes. distressing. But, yes. you know, you can take it. You're a gro- you're, you're, you know, I, you're see, I don't know that I can. And I was having a discussion about this this week about is how different people watch films and how different people watch shows. And I think people watch them in slightly different ways. And I think uh, we were talking about this because uh, you, you mentioned Atlanta, but Amy Simons has a new film uh, that's out this week called uh, She Dies Tomorrow. And the reviews have been, you know, on the one hand, five star great. And then I watched it and hated every second of it. And... I think it's, and and we were discussing this in the Empire office, and this discussion was you have like film buffs and you have film geeks. And film buffs look at a film, they look at the craft, they look at the filmmaking, the cinematography, the canted angles, the DOP, and they understand what an artist is intending by doing it. And a film geek immerses themselves in the story and the world building and the mythology. And for them, it's about becoming a part of the narrative. And I'm very much fall into the second camp. And I think an extension of that, I think sometimes, is that when you are a full geek, when you really, really do that, there's no barrier between viewer and viewed. Like, you become a part of that narrative. And all the kind of defensive filters that you would otherwise have have gone away. So you live it. You're part of it. You're there for however long it lasts, be it 90-minute film, be it an hour of TV. You are a part of that story. And so the emotional ups and downs are really fucking brutal. Uh, and if it's something horrific that happens, especially if it's something that I think is really relatable and accessible and grounded it can be very very difficult for me to sit through things like it, it can ruin my whole day like yeah. absolutely destroy me as the title implies so, for me that was a warning hmm. like it was a caveat that came with it this may destroy you do not watch it i think it's tricky because i'm the same as you generally i mean i'm the girl that walked out of irreversible in film studies and have not gone yeah. back to it since. i refuse like, to watch it yeah and um there are there are other times i've done that as well and i think certainly as a woman how you relate to stories where you're overpowered in this exertion of power but i think there's just something as i say this is like incendiary television and this is this is something i've never seen before and and michaela cold as well the fact that this is so embedded in her identity and i love michaela cold as well we spoke about edinburgh tv festival if you haven't watched the mctaggart's lectures she's given i, mm-hmm. I really recommend you go and watch mm-hmm. that so and it's also like from a from a filmmaking point of view she is it's it's respectfully done as much so as it can yeah. be so it's not gratuitous it's not grotesque it's not like something like the nightingale which came out last year which was very very horrific and steady and unflinching um i just think give it a go 
Mm. I think, it's like different. you say, I think you're going to have to anyway. But... I'm going to have to, yes. Yeah. Just professionally, I kind of can't avoid it. <laughs> yeah, your example of irreversible is really, is I think very interesting because I, I, you know, irreversible is designed, isn't it, to shock and appall yeah. us, and um, it's yeah. deliberately explicit and horrendous. This isn't like that, and I think you will be able to do. It. In fact, part of the brilliance of the writing is that she absolutely shows you clearly what's gone on and she makes it clear what's going on, but it isn't in any way exploitative. But actually you can watch it, you can digest it because of the way it is written and directed and acted. In, mm. And whereas I think you're, I think Irreversible is a classic example of something that is, and, and I'm, you know, fully, he's fully within his right to do what he did in that film. And it, but it, it was exploiting, if you like, the shock value of that scene to the max. Mm. And that is absolutely mm. not what I May Destroy was about. It's telling a story. So I think it's different. I think that is the key to it and I think you will be able to watch it and digest it and deal with it um, just because of the brilliance of, of of the of the whole thing yeah I think that's key yeah I'm excited yeah I watched I'm thinking of ending things have you seen that which is the um, the um, Charlie Kaufman Netflix I film yeah. right I'm yeah. really excited to see it I right. love Justin well, Buckley I know we're not so much talk, we're not supposed to talk about films on this thing but I watched that but I couldn't deal with that I found that incredibly grueling and distressing and it's partly to do with the fucking self I mean I, I, I couldn't stand it it's got five star reviews in some places but um, that I found really grueling and distressing and, and I think but you look at that and that's all to do with the, just the utter pretentiousness of it and everything as well as it, it, it's the subject matter whereas I May Destroy You is meant to be accessible isn't it it's meant to be I'm mm. you know this is for everyone and I, whereas I think something like I'm thinking of anything's an irreversible and those examples are absolutely not meant to be for everyone that's my feeling yeah yeah, it's funny. I mean, this kind of straddles into what we've been watching this week, actually, because uh, anyone who has listened to last week's podcast will have heard that Tom Ellis was kind of imploring me to give Happy Valley a try. This is one of my big blind spots. Oh, yeah. I've never watched Happy Valley. And he was like, you must watch Happy Valley. It's amazing. So I sat down and I've started watching Happy Valley and I am struggling with it. Not because it's not great. It's amazing. And her performance is extraordinary. And I'm really, really enjoying it. I think it's great. But... I, it's put me through an emotional ringer and I'm struggling a little with it a little with it because it's quite nasty in the way that the kidnapping like the kind of the rapist is there and the way those scenes are dealt with there's something really grubby about them and deeply unpleasant and while Happy Valley is great those scenes I'm kind of having to like oh let me just check mm. Twitter while this is on do you know what I mean just to try and give myself a like a like an empathetic buffer so that it doesn't drag me down with it because when I finished episode two like it really I was in a bit of a funk for the rest the evening so i haven't watched episode three yet. i'm going to i'm going to watch it all because it is really really good and tom was completely right but uh yeah that that so that's been that's been part of my week this week uh has been has been walking through the wildly misnamed happy valley and uh, <laughs> uh but i've also watched the whole of strike so lethal white i've watched all four episodes of that oh, and yeah. i loved every second of strike i cannot recommend that show enough also one listener was kind enough to point out that the latest strike novel troubled blood is actually being published on 15th of september so it's very oh, exciting wow. to hear that uh, that jk rowling has uh, taken some time off from trolling people on twitter to uh, write another corner strike novel so i'm very <laughs> very excited about that uh, when they'll adapt that i do not know hopefully i mean you know hopefully we'll see that before too long but uh, but there will be more strike and that that makes me happy brilliant james and his yeah. empathetic buffer is uh... <laughs> That's <laughs> giving the name of my band, boy. When yeah. I got up to scratching my yeah. guitar, the empathetic yeah. buffers will be gigging yeah. near you. It's brilliant. 
<laughs> I love the idea of an empathetic buffer. Um, I've been watching. I have been watching. Um, you remember last week, Tom talked about Thomas talked about um, what he'd been watching, and it was mainly Selling Sunset, which yes. I've talked about before, um, which is another show you won't be able to watch. I don't. I don't think it's for empathetic buffering reasons. Just, just you can't be bothered to watch a reality TV show. Um, so that yeah, Selling Sunset's brilliance was this mixture of property porn and kind of very well filmed docu soap and but we've we've got we've all got to the end of that fans of selling sunset there's three seasons of it they put two seasons of it out this year but in if you're feeling withdrawal symptoms at like me you will want to try out million dollar beach house which is the new Netflix property porn docu-soap series. It's basically exactly the same idea. It's all about um, realtors in America, estate agents, basically, really fucking Ponzi estate agents. This time, instead of on in um, Hollywood, this is set in the Hamptons on Long Island, which is basically where all the really, really rich people in America have their holiday homes for the summer. And they buy these, it's basically like huge, long stretches of beach with massive fucking mansions of like 30 rooms and 50 bathrooms literally there on the beach and you have your own little bit of the beach and mm-hmm. it's unbelievably sick and t- sick and annoying but and it's not as good as selling sunset so i've so i've watched i've binged on the whole thing there are six episodes i watched the whole thing this week um it, the property one aspect is there like the, the these places that are astonishing like you know 35 million for a for a for an incredible house in somewhere other Amagansett, but the soap aspect of it isn't up there with sun- Selling Sunset. It hasn't got the the ludicrous figures that we're going to know and love slash hate on Selling Sunset, hmm. like Christine and Chris and all these people. But there, it's because it's like ludicrous American like buff bros. Like there's these two guys who've been best buddies since they were school, and they they call each other bro constantly. There's a lot of bro going on in this one, which is a bit irritating. Wow. <laughs> and but I have to having said that after about like 10 minutes I was absolutely in and I watched the whole thing I binged on the whole thing it's no selling sunset but it is still addictive and it has brilliant brilliant episodes of massive um, passive aggression when like (laughs) certain agents are showing around people around these homes and the potential buyer is really snotty and asking really snotty questions and the and the sales people are being are being really defensive and passive aggressive and I love all that so if you it's still an incredible insight into human behavior and incredible um, properties so that is, it's called uh, Million Dollar Beach House on Netflix. Million Dollar Beach House. Not yeah. adding that to my list, but you'll understand why. Uh, <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> Beth, what have you been watching? So on the great Buffy, be- Buffy, the be- best, that's some best beefy, the be- best beefy. The- <laughs> we seem to have broken Beth. <laughs> yeah. I've gone, I've completely gone. The Buffy rewatch, yes. the best Buffy rewatch. So I've just cleared once more with feeling, which oh. I haven't seen since it first came out. So I'm so very, I was very happy to be in that world with them again. That was fantastic. What else have I been watching? Did you cover Self Made on here? I might have missed the episode if you did, um, which was on Netflix. And it's about, um, it's the life of Madam CJ Walker. It's got Octavia Spencer in it and... Tiffany Haddish. Yeah, we didn't really, no, no. You didn't, no. I watched the first episode of that on Netflix. That's really, really good, but I feel like that's been buried just in the algorithm. Um, That's a four-part series. Watched the first one of that. That was really, really, really good. I love Octavia Spencer. Um, Give that a go if you're just 
browsing through things and want to try something new, I'd say. And then I was hands in the air, very hungover on Sunday, the most hungover I've been in a while, and um, watched the whole first season of Search Party in one sitting. <laughs> uh, and it's still great. Amazing. I still love it. Boyd, when are we getting the third season? I feel like it's just never going to happen. Yeah, it's annoying, isn't it? Because, yeah, third, it's now on um, uh, HBO Max, I think. In America, oh, is it? I think so. Yeah. So, anyway. and HBO Max shows are very confusing as to who's going to show them and when. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> is the answer. Yeah, because it was that was on E4, wasn't it, or e, or Channel Four or Channel Four Online? Even it was that was fairly buried itself. Search Party. Yeah. yeah. And now you can just rent it on Amazon, I think. But it's a real, real hard one to find. But yeah, no, um, it was great to get back to that. The characters are really annoying, but in a really entertaining way. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just fun to go back to and and enjoy for a little bit. Interesting. Yes. Ooh. Ironic, of course, that a show called Search Party is so hard to find. But there we go. Perhaps that's marketing <laughs> for you. <laughs> um, yeah. Moving from there, I think, onto this week's listener question. And, you know, I would say, brace yourselves, because I suspect this is going to be quite a meaty one. So this comes from... Jeff Hovinger on Twitter, and he says, question for the pod, I am an American that just recently discovered Taskmaster, and I found it to be one of the most enjoyable things ever, especially during quarantine. I don't think that show has been brought up on this podcast before. Side note, I'm pretty sure it has against my objections. Um, so I am wondering what everyone's thoughts are on it. Follow-up question, what are some similar shows that Americans probably don't know about that we should look into? Now, I suggest we skirt over the first part, what do we think of Taskmaster? Not least of all, because I don't really know what it is boys what is taskmaster <laughs> i'll explain what taskmaster is taskmaster is um the show in which comedian greg davis sets tasks increasingly ludicrous tasks to a team of comedians there's five of them it started it was on the channel called dave in this country um which is a, which is started out as a male skewed channel of comedy it's 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 less male skewed now so if you look at the early series of taskmaster it was basically four dudes and one woman and then by about series like eight or whatever they suddenly realized they have to have more parity so now it's like usually two women and three men or whatever mm. um it all depends for me i don't mind I to i'm not a huge fan of it I, I, it's all about who are the people on it so um, you know when da the David Baddiel series was brilliant because I love David Baddiel Ashling B's done it and she's brilliant so it does get mm. they do get really good people on it but it all depends on who the people are as to whether you in engage with it or not but it's not a show that you're ever going to watch James no um, I do believe there's an American version on the way. And also Channel 4 have bought it. They've like acquired it. So they're going to show the next series um, oh, uh, yeah. later this autumn, I think. Okay, mm -hmm. But he, he raises a key secondary question here, which is shows that Americans probably don't know about but should look into. And that's a big question because it kind of, it partly touches on one of the best British shows ever, but also it's the British shows which are maybe not big exports that maybe haven't either been shown in the States or maybe haven't been particularly publicised in the States that, that have slipped past. I can't kind of feel that Boyd, you'll be the authority on this, but who wants to dig in with some, some well, shows I, here? Well, I was going to say, I think everything is shown now, everywhere, pretty much. But do people know about them? That's the question, isn't it? Because there's so right. much stuff. Okay, well, it is hard to tell, yeah. I mean, I've, I've gone for like a few comedies basically like i think i wonder i don't know i, I mean i was trying to fi find out but I, I so my caveat on this whole question i genuinely think if you're a tv fan a tv buff that in america you kind of find out about all this stuff you know or, or either by osmosis or just because everything in the end gets shown somewhere you know there are yeah. channels devoted to british tv in america there are streaming services devoted to this Do stuff they get anyway box yeah they've got brit box yeah they've yeah. got brit box so almost everything's available somewhere but anyway but there's still american shows that have we haven't seen yeah i'm waiting for yeah. by the way we, that's another question we could do sometime um but i've gone for him and her 
which was the show that with Russell Tovey and Sarah Soleimani, um, both of whom have gone on to brilliant things. So Russell obviously was in Looking in America, which Americans know him, and he's becoming a, a bigger and bigger star each as the weeks go by. But him and her was um, Stellan Golachevsky wrote it. It was basically a kind of the two of them living in their kind of um, bedsit, grubby bedsit. It was a celebration of kind of grubby intimacy with these two people who love each other and just like not worrying about kind of, you know, the niceties of life, if you like. And it was kind of pretty much real. Each episode was in real time. All of it was based in their their bedsit and that was it. And you kind of very ready to go. Apart from the final season of series, which was all about a wedding where they went to, which then kind of opened it up a bit and that was it was just brilliantly written brilliantly acted by those two um and the and the supporting cast so yeah him and her definitely uh, this country similarly like uh, uh, you know the, the also these are very british things i think like this country is such a british show about a, a kind of specific british world part of the country that doesn't get shown part of the part of the device of this country is that it's a spoof docu-soap about how we don't see these working class rural communities much on british tv so presumably americans even less get to see working class rural british people on tv and it's a relentlessly brilliant show uh brilliantly written and and it is like, like you know, I think for Americans, it would be like Parks and Rec or something, you know, the kind of the, the much more uh, hmm. gritty, realistic version of, of that with with a brilliant um, cast and crew here. And then finally, I've gone for Fresh Meat because I wonder whether, you yes. know, fans... Yes, that was on mine. Yeah, I think fans of um, like American college shows because it's such a tradition of American colleges and it's always full of like beautiful people um, and frat houses and this you know, but Fresh Meat was a, a brilliantly authentic, realistic depiction of the British student experience um, yeah. with this incredible cast, Sam Bain and Jesse Armstrong, um, and it was just beautifully put together beautifully written um jack whitehall's in it such as Zoe ashton i think was fantastic she was my yes. favorite character and, and i just yeah. think it was a real it was a real british antidote to the american college thing that we see on so many tv but it's one of these things where you feel like the in-between has got quite a lot of playtime in the u.s and i feel fresh meat yeah. is something that probably did slip under the radar and it is as you say it's really mm. good i think to my mind one of the funniest british comedies i love it i thought jack whitehall especially yeah. is very very good in that um, yeah, loads and loads of fun. I'm surprised because yeah. Fresh Meat seems to be the one that they've sort of left alone as well because obviously they remade The Inbetweeners mm. in the US or tried to... Who else did they try and remake and it just didn't really work? Skins and um, the IT crowd were all ones that kind of... So it's nice mm. in a way that Fresh Meat's been preserved and people could go and watch it just as is. I feel you lose what makes it unique if you make it American. What works is it's a very, very British show. And yeah. I think that's, that's it. That's, that's the whole core of its humor. And I think there are too many kind of like, you know, college set US shows. It's, it would lose its unique selling point. So, uh, Definitely. no, we don't know that. So, Beth, what, what, what suggestions would you like to make? Well, I'm purposefully avoiding eye contact with you here, James, because you're not going to like the show that I say here. Um, I'm not but, when you me- <laughs> <laughs> but when you mentioned this, this, um, the, the question to us, I was thinking about a conversation I actually had last week with a friend who lives in New York, who's a pop culture writer, because I was really keen to hear if Staff Let's Flats has taken off God. or mm. if it's translating, <laughs> if it's translated yes. at all in America, because it obviously won the BAFTAs. It beat Fleabag, it beat Derry Girls, it came through and it won these BAFTAs. It's won a few BAFTAs now. It's on HBO Max. And I was just really keen to see if the BAFTA wins had had kind of a ripple effect and put it on people's radars in the US. And then also if they understood it, because it's such, it's not just a very 
British film. It's a British Greek Cypriot like show with this kind of like take on the English language. It's in a letting agency. I had to explain to my friend what a letting agent was, um, and and what a letting agent in North London would look like. Um, but he was really he's a big fan of Natasha Dimitrio anyway, who's in um, what we do in the shadows. So she's already got US appeal. But he went away to look at it. He was thrilled that it was twelve episodes for two seasons. He was like, "I love British telly," um, <laughs> because obviously not the case in the US. And he's went and watched it and absolutely loved it. So I think if you get a chance on HBO Max to watch two seasons of. Statlet's Flats, which you can do in an afternoon. And apparently it translates, which I was really pleased about. It's, it's, um, it's quite a concept to sell, isn't it? Who is Stath? What is letting? And I don't know what a flat is. Like for Americans, that's a complete <laughs> 0 for 3, straight out the gate. <laughs> but he's really enjoying it. And I think they're taking off a little bit. Both of them are in that Eurovision film that came out. So I think they're starting to kind of appear mm. in films, even as, as small parts. And I'm hoping that the BAFTA success has kind of bolstered their international mm. appeal. But yeah, definitely check that out um, if you get a chance. Right. Anything else you want to before I go into my enormous, exhaustive list of things that <laughs> no, fell out of I my brain? I anticipating this, so I've just gone with the one. You go ahead. Okay, so <laughs> rather than me talk for the next 20 minutes, which I think we could all do without. So what I'm going to do is I've got a list of stuff which, I just, which just came to my head when I thought of British shows I think Americans should watch. And I genuinely have no idea how known these are in the US. So, boy, I'm going to rely on you to be like, James, you're being an idiot. That's been on TV there for years. <laughs> Whatever. Okay, you'll enjoy this role, boy. Okay, so first of all, Unforgotten. Unforgotten. Nicola Walker, Sanjeev Bhaskar, amazing. What do we think, boy? Yeah, it has been. It's definitely available on, I think it's available on Netflix. Uh, yeah, I think it is America, on Netflix, yeah. yeah. But, but if people haven't yeah. seen it, that is phenomenal. It's uh, two detectives essentially investigating cold cases, but in a in a serialised, not a procedural format, uh, with a case taking up each season. Really, really good. Nicola Walker is brilliant in everything. Uh, not least of all, Spooks. Remember her back in the day when she was, uh, she was Ruth in Spooks? Spooks is another one. Yeah. That was MI5 in the States, but that did that got aired quite widely. Um, I'm forgotten. It's actually a, 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 C, a PBS Masterpiece Theatre um, series in America, which is interesting. Oh, so sounds like something they've seen yeah okay right yeah, yeah. fine uh i will not mention marcella because frankly they've got season three before we have and i'm still quite sore about that so not only have they seen it they've seen more of it than i have uh so that's marcella gone cracker i mentioned at every given opportunity jimmy mcgovern's cracker which is phenomenal and almost certainly did air in the states and you can probably find it somewhere but you should because robbie coltrane is genius as a kind of a psychological profiler who beats people up with his brain uh happy valley we've mentioned earlier save me will definitely have had some airtime in the u.s but again when we reviewed season two a lot of american people on twitter were saying i'd never heard of save me that's really good i'm glad you put us onto it so do obviously watch save me did uh boy do you know if blood has aired in the u.s oh that's a good one um yeah, I feel it must have done, but I don't. I don't know where. Yeah. Well, Channel Five's um, blood is extant, so if you yeah, are in America, I, I suggest it. you seek that out somehow, somewhere. Uh, I'm sure they've all seen Prime Suspect. I, I I really enjoyed Collateral. You remember Carrie Mulligan's Collateral, which again I think it got quite mixed reviews, but I liked it, and I know that did air in the states. But I bring it up now because you just don't get enough shows where you have a, a central detective who's also a former competitive pole vaulter, and I think we should have more <laughs> of that as a specific subgenre. Yeah. I think Blood's on American um, Amazon Prime. American American Amazon Prime. Okay, go and find Blood on American yeah. Amazon Prime. Uh, where did Years and Years air in the States? Well, it was HBO. Years and Years was it's, HBO co-production. It's HBO. Yeah, so everyone's yeah, seen that. Okay. Yeah, they 
put quite a lot of money into it, yeah. Okay. Uh, Ultraviolet, which I've bansheed in the past, which was a Joe Ahern show with uh, Idris Elba uh, with vampires in it. It's got Jack Davenport in it too. Only had six episodes, only one season. Really, really great groundbreaking TV. Uh, loved that. Um, what else have we got? Obviously, who can forget the classic Bonjour La Classe, starring yours truly. Uh, don't watch that. It's terrible. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, although Case Histories with Jason Isaacs, which I really, really like, based on the yes. uh, Jackson Brody novels, that is very, very good indeed. The Amanda Abington's and that as well. Did Coupling air in the US? Ooh. The British Friends, um, as it was billed. Yeah, I think it did somewhere, but I can't remember where, yeah. Yeah, Jack Davenport again, Richard Coyle, who was the best thing in that. He was the Chandler of coupling. I enjoyed that a lot while he was in it, at least. That was a lot of fun. What else have we got in there? Older Jeb Mercurial stuff like Critical, really, really good. Did that air in the US? We just don't know, do we? Probably, maybe, <laughs> possibly. Um, no, other recent British stuff, Dublin Murders, which was my favourite show of last year, which was great. Uh, the Capture from last year, which is coming, but that was really good as well. That definitely aired in the States because I know people have seen it. Game Face, Rasheen Connerty's show, which is great. Uh, I'm sure that does air somewhere, but I don't know how many Americans have seen it, but that's very well worth checking out. The Rook, which you and I, Boyd, talked about, I think, earlier this year, having sort of discovered it late. I know that has aired in the States. And weirdly, I think it hmm. might have even aired there first but the rook was british mm. set uh, with you know psychic secret agents that was a lot of fun what else we got i'm <laughs> surprised no one's mentioned any show you can think of i'm listening well, no, it's just, <laughs> these were the shows that fell out of my head i thought okay british shows and i just wrote down a little list of shows um yeah. you know yeah, crashing crack pulling on. camping all the ing shows <laughs> i don't know how many people have seen those over there all worth a look <laughs> well camping there was an american version yeah, it was of an course, American version, by, yes, but um, the original Julia Davis Dunham, version, yeah. I don't think. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Black Books, which I'll be talking about a little bit mm. later on. And there are lots and lots of great, like um, like Low Winter Sun and stuff, like sort of like those very British sort of six-part crime dramas. And there are a lot of those out there. And I've missed loads of them. They're still on my list. I've never seen Red Riding, but I know, Boyd, you talk about oh. those quite a lot. So Yeah, yeah. Low, Low Winter Sun was turned into a returning series with Lenny James, of course, in America. Was it? Um did not know that. Yeah, yeah. Did so another question that. at some point would be British shows that have been turned into quite interesting, possibly quite obscure American shows. Yeah. 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 We should do that other thing. That's a good shout. One week we should do that. American shows that have yet to be aired in the UK and that the British audiences have no knowledge of. That'd be yeah. nice. Okay, yeah. that is a, a shitload of British telly for anyone to watch. If you can find it anywhere, then well done you. Uh, if you would like your question answered on the podcast, then do send them over to us. You can message them to at Pilot TV Pod on Twitter or to me directly at James C. Dyer on Twitter or Instagram. Right, shall we move on to this week's news? And I think we all know what's leading this week's news board. And yes, it is the fact <laughs> that Battlestar Galactica is headed to iPlayer as a box set from September the 5th. All four series, including the original miniseries, the show will also be broadcast on BBC Two from that date as well at 9.45. And this is the greatest moment in the history of television. And Beth, your excuses for having never watched this show have evaporated into thin air. I expect you on the 5th at 9.45 to be in front of BBC yeah. Two watching yeah. that show. No, I know. I found out from your Twitter account with your all caps tweet and my heart just sank. I was like, well, this is it. This is this is the end of my line of excuses. Yes. If, oh, God. If Tom Ellis right. tells you to watch Battlestar Galactica, you watch Battlestar Galactica, Beth. If Tom Ellis told me to walk out onto a train track, I would say, fine. fine. I was surprised, James, because I broke this news to you, I believe. You I, did. I mean, you yeah, might have you seen it independently. Me. 
I, I texted you about it. I was surprised you didn't instantly revamp the whole of this show and insist that we review it and like we'll watch it, you know, and, and compile our thoughts for an hour. Do a Battle Star Galactica special where we go through the best of each season. Well, boy, that brings yeah. us on to our next section, our guest battle. No, it doesn't. It doesn't at all. I wouldn't do that to Beth. I think we would never get her on the podcast again. Um, but uh, yes, I, we should have. We should have reviewed the whole Battle Star Galactica. God. That would have been amazing. It's great. That's all you need to know. That, fortunately, was not the only piece of James-related news this week. There is also a West Wing special coming to HBO Max from Aaron Sorkin, which, if I'm honest, sounds more exciting than it actually is. It is not a a proper sort of reunion episode. It is an election special. Uh, It is a stage performance. It is uh, essentially, it's got the weird title, A West Wing Special to Benefit When We All Vote, which... What? feels like it's been translated through at least seven different languages before coming to the final version. But uh, this is encouraging people to vote in the upcoming US elections. Please, for the love of God, vote in the upcoming US elections. And what it will do is it will be a stage recreation of the episode Hartsfield's Landing from Season 3, which, of course, you will both know is a phenomenal episode of the show. Uh, it shows Bartlett uh, engaging in several people. He's playing chess with them. He gifts them with chess sets. And he schools them in political thoughts and all sorts of other things. And it gets a bit thorny with Toby while playing chess against them individually. Meanwhile, Donna is essentially knocking on doors in Hartsfield's Landing, trying to corral individual voters, which is, I imagine, why this was chosen, because it's showing the importance of the individual vote. And it also has the brilliant prank war between CJ and Charlie, which is uh, which is pretty epic as well. But it's a really, really great... I mean, they're all great, but it's a particularly well-written episode of The West Wing. And I'm very excited to see the cast being reunited and, and performing that live on stage. So that will be great. That is going to be... I don't think we've got an air date for it, have it? HBO Max, it'll be before the election, at least. Uh, but I don't know what day exactly. And who knows? We'll right. be able to see it here, by the way, James. Who knows? Who knows? Yeah. I mean, sure we will. I don't well, know in what capacity, but I'm sure we'll be able to see it. A lot of the special things that have happened around, you know, like the 30 Rock special, Pox, they haven't ar- reached here yet, a lot of them. So, because they're kind of anomalies, aren't they, in the system? That would be a unique torture for me. <laughs> yeah. I yeah. do like the idea. I mean, I love the West Wing as well, not as much as you, but I love the idea that this ultimate liberal, you know, the ultimate liberal TV show of all time can somehow mm. sway American voters, like working class <laughs> Trump voters who, like, despise everything, you know, everything about the West Wing and what it stands for would somehow have any effect in getting people out to vote i love that idea it's beautiful it's insane but yeah good on them for giving it a go 100 percent, 100 percent. what else have we got well there's loads of stuff that broke in edinburgh as i was gonna say so the edinburgh tv festival happened this week boy it's edinburgh breakdown special. this is my edinburgh breakdown yeah so they did a really good, good job by every year so i'd go to the edinburgh tv festival which is like as much of a um conference really about the state of television as it is a festival um and i've gone every year for about the last 15 16 years and this year they did it virtually like all the festivals are happening virtually they did a really good job so they had loads of really good sessions they had a masterclass about normal people they had one about gangs of london so they kind of reflect you know the kind of really the, the some of the brilliant um, shows we've had recently. Um, they had very news. They had a, a session about drama with Russell T. Davis and Noel Clark, and Noel Clark was brilliant in that. Brilliantly, as I I, I, I tweeted, said dropping truth bombs mm. on that panel about racism in the industry. Still, um, he told the story of how he started a, a new job recently in which he was the lead. And I think you know I'm about to talk about his his new show that has been announced by ITV. Um, where he arrived on set and they're just and and the crew was completely not diverse at all. There are hardly any uh, black members of the crew, and he just said to the producers, "Sort it out." 
and they did. And this got kind of twisted newswise into, oh, does that mean he insisted on them sacking white crew members? And he's like, no, they didn't do that. They just brought in, um, you know, uh, black crew members to, to 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 join in. And he is he's a proper activist um, slash creative mm. person who's changing things in the industry. And also, his big new show was announced by ITV called Viewpoint, which is going to be a crime drama where he plays plays as a surveillance detective, and that is based on an idea by Harry Bradbeer, who was the director of Fleabag. So I'm quite excited about that. And the other big drama, I think, the most exciting drama that was announced by Channel 4 um, was Neve Algar um, is going to be in this show called My Name is Lizzie. Um, and she, of course, was absolutely brilliant in The Virtues. And she, she's a kind mm. of a legend. And this mm. is going to tell the story of um, the investigation into Rachel Nickel, the murder of Rachel Nickel, which is a very famous crime in 1992. And um, it feels like a brilliant bit of casting and the people and the, the kind of um, behind the scenes people they've got together to make the show sounds very promising so that was an exciting bit of news um channel 4 next year is also announced it's going to do a whole day of black a black takeover day so like the whole day of program will be will be created by starring produced by uh black people mo gilligan's going to do um the brick bring the brick breakfast back the big breakfast back this is not something that will trouble james but i think for the rest of us the idea of bringing back the big breakfast which was this iconic you know 90s was that Johnny Vaughan? Yeah, Johnny Vaughan, absolutely, yeah. It was the very first cover of Heat was The Big Breakfast. Um, there you go. Uh, so it was very important culturally. Um, but that whole idea, I think, is interesting. And the other thing I wanted to mention from the Edinburgh TV Festival that was announced was the BBC announced they're doing a spin-off from The A Word, and I love The A Word. We haven't, we don't, we haven't really reviewed it properly on this show. No. But um, that's because it, kind of, it was on its you know third series this year. But it was a really good show. And the two characters, Ralph and Katie, who got married in the last series who are who are characters with down syndrome played by actors with down syndrome and they're going to do a spin-off six-part series all about them and their lives which i think is a brilliant idea and peter balker who created and wrote the a word will write some of it but also he's going to write it with disabled writers um who cuts a lot of them new to tv giving them their first break in tv so the whole idea of it i think is brilliant and exactly what the bbc should be doing so i'm very much excited about that rough and katie which will be on later and then there's all loads of other stuff in edinburgh but you know, uh, that, that's my pick of the Edinburgh TV Festival news. Exciting. Amazing. I love Neve Algar. I'm obsessed with yeah. her. Um, Incredible. <laughs> I think she's a, yeah, she's proper star on the rise, that one. Um, are we talking about the Powerpuff Girls live remake, please, with Diablo Cody? <laughs> yes. I realise this isn't well, I, my audience. <laughs> I, I don't even know how to respond to that, but carry on. <laughs> <laughs> that's it. That's it. Live action Powerpuff Girls with Diablo Cody. I'm really excited. And Veronica Mars is uh, Heather uh, Regnier. She's going to help make it as well. I'm just really excited for it. So I'm just chucking that in. That's best news. <laughs> Powerpuff Girls is one of those things where I just think it's almost like it happens in another language where it's just it's just <laughs> gibberish from top to bottom, which I really struggle with. But uh, I'm, clearly it has an audience, so great. Oh, and Diablo Cody as well. Imagine that three, is true. three like, Junos with superpowers. And yeah. that's, that's what we've got. I'm really excited. I'm there for that, definitely. <laughs> um, Netflix have been swinging the axe, and if anyone's noticed this, they killed the society. They killed. Yeah. I am not okay with this. Yeah. Uh, and most irritating for me, they killed Altered Carbon yes. after season two. You were the fan. Yeah, I was the fan. <laughs> I, I'm. I will say Altered Carbon. I'm not wildly surprised by because that was clearly an extraordinarily expensive show to make. But I think there is a worrying trend here, which is this season two axing thing that Netflix have, which they call their viewership. Version 
versus cost renewal review process, which is a horrific wow. thing to call anything. But they seem to have this algorithm whereby the first two seasons of a show have a sharp acquisition appeal, like really gets in subscribers. But subsequent seasons, according to their weird algorithm, subsequent seasons after season two have less recruitment potential because then it becomes an ongoing show. And it does so they are most likely to cancel a show after season two, especially if it has a large budget, because it just doesn't bring in the punters anymore. And that's really troubling to me because they commission and continue to put out a lot of shit. That's not to say they don't put out good stuff. They put out very good stuff. But, and yes, I am still sore that they cancelled the OA, which was an egregious crime for which they should be held accountable. But... It, it is an ong- it's a worry it's a worry for me that you know a great show that's really well received that may be critically acclaimed might get cancelled if they decide oh it's a bit expensive and we just don't think it's gonna you know the cost per acquisition is too high it's not gonna bring in people for us yeah i agree i, I think it's really it is the whole netflix model i think is becoming increasingly worrying in one way interestingly actually the fx right the head of fx um mm. i was trying to look up his name just now john landgraf gave a keynote address the last address actually the edinburgh TV, tv festival yesterday he closed the whole thing and he was talking about how the fx channel in, you know has done a brilliant job in um creating bold exciting shows but they do very few of them a year so i think he was talking about how mm. they've created in the last three or four years, like 30-something shows, new shows, if you like. So they had Devs, you know, this year, um, which is one of our favourites, I know, um, and some brilliant comedies. Dave, they did that comedy, Dave, that I think is fantastic. I think people need to carry on watching. Um, Little Dicky. Little Dicky. Um, but he was talking about how their model is very much more selective and and, and very diverse. That, you know, that, that Their content's got better and better by involving more, yeah. more diverse, creative people. And then he and compare that to you know Netflix where you've got hundreds and hundreds of shows per year literally, uh, you know most of them scripted, and yet they'll disappear after one or two seasons if they don't as you say that algorithm it doesn't show that mm. they're worth it and I think that model is 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 irritating in the end because things get completely missed if they decide Netflix will decide a show is like their big flagship show for one week and everyone will be able to see it and review it and then there'll be like n- another show season two season two of you know um some big huge expensive shows just get completely ignored in their kind of tactical because they've got so much stuff so much content and i yeah. think the lost in space for example right lost in space that was the example i was thinking of i couldn't remember it <laughs> thanks um, <laughs> but i think i think i think everyone's feeling like the waves and waves of content from them in particular is is that really sustainable like what how is that helping us you know in a lot of it being shit some of it being brilliant but a lot of it being shit does that who you know does that help anyone in the end mm. i i'm not sure if, i i think in a few years time that it'll they'll change it i think they'll be much more selective commission less because i think they'll get more and more complaints from viewers if they start axing shows after one or two seasons that get a fan base particularly those types of shows like the oa yeah. and altered carbon and cuz those kind of shows get really really strong devoted fans don't they so i think it's something they'll really they have to do. think about Imagine if they cancelled The Witcher after two seasons, you know. That's I mean, going to go ballistic. I would be a one-man yeah. picket line outside <laughs> Netflix HQ, right. tossing coins at Netflix yeah. while singing the song on my guitar. <laughs> oh, guys. I'm amazed the OA hasn't been picked up elsewhere, given the... Because I'm still seeing well, tweets yeah. about it now, like regular tweets from people just saying, are we are we picking this up again then? Like this fight to bring back the OA. I'm surprised like Hulu or someone hasn't picked it up. 
Well, I think the um, problem there is that uh, uh, Netflix, as far as I understand it, Netflix won't let uh, they won't let anyone else make it, and yet they won't make it themselves. And that's the bind. Do you remember there was this whole thing about Michaela Cole retaining uh, uh, the rights yeah. to her stuff, and that's what yeah. Netflix do. Yeah, Netflix no. demand all the rights to people's creative people's work most of the time. That's their whole thing. So it's wow. up to them to let anyone else take it on. Of course, they won't because then you know if if Hulu took it over and turned it into this huge thing, then it looks bad for them. So it's like it's a real it's a real bind for for creative people. Yeah or not they go with that gosh mm, well if warrior nun gets cancelled after season two <laughs> we riot right it could happen uh also acts though showtime killed penny dreadful city of angels which isn't a huge surprise no no um, i didn't hate it i quite liked it but then i didn't carry on watching it either so same you know. yeah same yeah I, I think it felt like Never quite mind. a contrived way of clinging to that to that thing isn't it you know why was it penny dreadful it was like a tenuous yes, connection indeed. to the previous it, penny it wasn't dreadful. really at all was it <laughs> no. yeah yeah a spiritual um, sequel a spiritual sequel i always find this kind of branding a bit weird just you know of kind of br- br- do another completely different story but brand it the same thing it's very confusing <laughs> and you know tenuous i think isn't it it's like um dirty yeah. john we had it with dirty john didn't we you know yes, the second season dirty of dirty john. john is not about a dirty john <laughs> It's about something no, completely there's different. There's no John in it at all. There's no John in it, yeah. <laughs> Did everyone see the trailer of the week, though? Did you see the trailer of the week for me? Was the Comey rule? Um, I did. No. No. I was yeah. thought you going to say Enola Holmes. Uh, no, I'm sorry. Uh, I've seen all of Enola Holmes. So, uh, uh, oh, the Comey you? rule. Oh, yeah. yeah. Obviously, not let's talk about it. Heavily embargoed. Um, the Comey <laughs> rule, though, uh, which is Brendan Gleeson as fucking Donald Trump. Oh, my God. Oh. Yes. Oh God! As they yeah. say, inject it into my veins, as the kids say, because <laughs> it's so brilliant. He's so Brendan Gleeson. Uh, it's just the most amazing bit of casting ever. And you also get Kingsley Benadir of the OA season two as Barack Obama. By the way, um, there was a brilliant. brilliant interview with him this week about how he's playing these incredible legendary figures because he plays Malcolm X in another drama coming up soon. And he talked about how, you know, he's a British guy. I, I met him on the set of the OA and interviewed him. He's a lovely guy, Arsenal fan, etc. And um, <laughs> he was talking that's, that's about... Your bar, isn't that's it? it. Arsenal <laughs> fan, lovely yeah, guy, lovely absolutely. guy. <laughs> he was talking about how he goes to America and he auditions for an Ang Lee film, comes back to England and he's auditioning for an episode of Holby City, you know, and he was talking about the incredible difference for black actors like him in terms of yeah. what he, what they get offered in American here. So he's having an incredible time in his career particularly. But the Comey Rule will be aired on Sky um, at the end of September just after it airs on Showtime in America. And that is extremely exciting, I think. That's great. Yeah, is that the first time we're seeing Trump properly being sort of played by somebody? In, in, a, a, in a drama. Yeah. So obviously he's on Saturday yeah. Night Live played by Alec Baldwin yeah. brilliantly. Yeah, but I think in a drama, yeah, absolutely. As far as I'm aware, that's exciting. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It, there's a part of me that's just like it almost feels like is, will it be too soon? It might be quite triggering for me. Like I've got to the point where, <laughs> oh God, you can't deal with anything. I know. Maybe that's it. I'm just a snowflake boy. I'm just You're a big old a liberal snowflake. snowflake. <laughs> you are the ultimate. Li- just stick with the West Wing. Don't want anything else. <laughs> yeah, that's it. This, this speaks volumes. Isn't it? I like I like escapist science fiction and like liberal utopia political shows. Yeah. And yeah. that's my jam. Yeah, you you. <laughs> Libtard cuck. <laughs> that is me. That is me. Yeah. Um, yeah. Right. Uh, any other news before we wrap up this section of the podcast? Uh, I just had something on Invasion and Sam Neill being cast in this alien show that's being told from multiple perspectives. Like that got cast yesterday. I don't know if there's much else out on that though, but that seems oh. exciting. I mean, Sam Neill in anything is, is exciting, isn't it? Yeah. Last bit of news I will say is uh, there is Netflix 
when they're not cancelling things, are, of course, acquiring and ordering new shows. And they have ordered a Resident Evil TV series uh, from the EP of Supernatural, Andrew Dabb, um, which he's very excited about. It's apparently one of his favourite games. I am less excited by this i like the resident evil games you two clearly massive gamers i can tell uh but uh it's a bit the resident evil games are batshit absolutely batshit uh certainly if you get up to six and from seven it kind of changes tack slightly and four is slightly different too but some of it's a bit bit nuts and i wonder how much it's from the same studio that makes the movies the paul ws anderson movies and i they are a little bit gonzo and I'd, I'd quite like to see them rather than trying to you know bring out wesker and the redfields and all these people that we've seen uh in the games you know do something like resident evil 7 like dial it back make it quite you know horror-led character-led really slow burning creepy like that could work really really well uh, i have no idea what their plans are for this particular series but uh i guess we'll see it at least has the virtue of name recognition so people will watch it but um Yes, indeed. So that's Resident Evil coming to Netflix at some point in the future. And that, I think, is it for this week's news. Time, then, for our reviews. And the first show we have for you this week is Netflix's Young Wallander, a somewhat odd series that's not based on the novels of Henning Mankell, who wrote the Kurt Wallander novels, nor is it a remake of either the Swedish language series or the British adaptation from 2008, which had Kenneth Branagh in the role, and also <laughs> starred Tom Hiddleston. Uh, rather, this is an original story, which stars uh, Adam Palson as the eponymous young Wallander. It's a prequel set before he became the great detective, and while he was still a kind of jobbing beat Bobby. Uh, so, Boyd, what did your investigations reveal about this one? Oh my god, they reveal that this is such a weird concept right so mm. it's a prequel as the title would suggest to wallander the yeah. kind of clearly the british version of it um you know and etc but it's set in the present day it's yeah. set completely in the present day w with iphones and everything um and the crimes are all about racist uh, groups and um interesting looking at society very much in the present day in sweden in malmo where it's set etc it, so i was like why why is it set in the present day and yet it's a prequel to this character who we who, you know who's <laughs> played by kenneth branner and was really old and um uh, got Alzheimer's at the end of the last book famously and you know it's just make any sense so if you get part you just have to ignore the fact that it doesn't make any sense whatsoever and it's basically <laughs> it's basically a new detective drama series about a young detective on his first big case really who kind of has to follow around the experienced detective and he's and the reason why he's the experienced detective gets him to follow him around and help him a bit is because he happens to live and he happens to have seen the horrendous murder that opens the whole case which is a horrendous and interesting and eye-catching um, and then we follow him investing this murder but it could be so easy absolutely nothing to do with Wallander whatsoever and to the point where you know apart from it he's the only character the actor who's Swedish in the whole thing so Adam Pilsen mm. hunky Adam Pilsen who spends half the show with his top off by the way <laughs> you know, he like, is quite ripped isn't he <laughs> he's totally ripped yeah. he's a totally ripped hunk <laughs> like, but like, you don't think he's going to turn into Kenneth Branagh like completely <laughs> with all due respect to Ken I love him and everything but like what I, I could not for a minute did I think this guy is eventually going to turn into Kenneth Branagh's version of Wallander it, both character-wise and physically and everything. I was like, it doesn't work. And anyway, he's everyone else in it is like a British actor, pretty much, doing it in a British yeah. accent. Everyone, so yeah. he's doing his Swedish accent because he's Swedish, talking in English. <laughs> Everyone's speaking English in a British accent. It's, it's like 
absolutely insanely nonsensical <laughs> from start to finish. But but it's beautifully made. It looks it great. It's got that kind of washed out greeny, browny, grey kind of colour scheme going on. It, you know, every scene is beautifully filmed. You know, Adam Palson, he's kind of, you know, he's, he's, he's fine. He's quite interesting. He's a bit nice. Like, because, you know, for me, Wallander, <laughs> one of the interesting things about Wallander was that he was a bit, he was very kind of solipsistic and self-absorbed. <laughs> and, you know, he was very, you know, so I, again, like character-wise, I, didn't, I don't see the connection. But it's perfectly serviceable, you know, whodunit mystery thriller. But, it's nothing fucking to do with Wallander, apart from the fact that he's Swedish and he's Swedish. <laughs> so it's an I odd just, thing. It's just weird. It feels it feels an <laughs> odd one to me because I, I mean, has Wallander got that level of name recognition that will make this a must watch? Like it's not I mean, like no, Young was, Columbo or something, is it? <laughs> it Wallander, <laughs> the Wallander. Um, things were hugely successful on 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 BBC One, and I think it was hugely successful in in Sweden as well. So it has it's definitely got more recognition than if they just had a new show with about a Swedish detective. Yeah, <laughs> Beth, what did you make of it? Yeah, I mean, I benefit from not really knowing that much about Wallander. I guess like the most I've come, I've watched a few episodes of the Kenneth Branagh version with my dad, um, and was really drawn to how which one it was, which was really dark. There was um, a guy being threatened with like acid, and it was very like grim. This, I'm not quite sure who this is made for, and this is a problem that I'm finding more and more with Netflix as they keep kind of shoving out these very stylish shows. I'm sick to death of neon lights in, in Netflix shows, I will say. I think I'm going to write like a, a personal letter to um to the CEO of Netflix and just be like, no more, no more neon lights. I we get that's it. why they like, cancelled we... all carbon. <laughs> like, it, it, it's just incredibly, incredibly stylish, which I'm, you know, to a degree here for, but I'm not sure who the show's made for. I'm about five episodes in and I do think it gets more entertaining. I am more invested in his journey now. I am starting to see shadows of... Because he starts drinking, doesn't he? You can see that he's kind of relying more and more on alcohol as he kind of gets drawn deeper into this web of crime. And um, it's a funny time as well to be following a show about a budding policeman. Um, and I think they're going to great lengths to make him seem as human as possible. There's a mm -hmm. lots, lot of lines in there that are things like, he's not just a policeman, he's a man. And you think, I'm not quite sure this is being received as you'd hoped it to be written um, <laughs> right now. But yeah, very slick. Um, you know, he's a guy in a black leather jacket, so you know he's he's got that about him. But I don't necessarily think he's very interesting at that stage. I feel like he's going to get more interesting as as it progresses. But yeah, I just I struggle to see who who it's for because, as you say, I don't think it's really going to tap in with Wallander fans because it's so vastly different from it at the moment. Um, I don't really think it's for young people. So I think it's just sort of sitting in a weird kind of limbo. But he's great as Wallander, I think, or this version of Wallander. Um, I imagine he'll go on to do good things off this. He's a good action star. I could see him kind of handling those kind of manoeuvres. But yeah, as I say, I'm, I'm finding it more entertaining as it's going along, but I think it might lose a few people after the first few episodes. Yeah, it is It is odd to see who exactly they are pitching this at. I'm not entirely sure either. I, I, I really enjoyed it. I thought it was slick. As Boyd said, it has a sort of that nice sort of Scandi washed out sort of noiry feel to it. But it's, um, there, there's one bit in episode one where there's a, a crowd control situation, we say a sort of riot situation where uh, 
where the budget, shall we say, starts to make itself feel known. In the, <laughs> it's a riot with, I think, six policemen in attendance, and it feels a little bit like this has not been brilliantly thought through as an operation. <laughs> but, but it's fine if you couldn't get more people on the screen. But okay, and that I did that didn't really work for me. But other than that, I, you know, I enjoyed the idea that he is a policeman living in a particularly dodgy gang-run estate in Malmo, in Sweden, and uh, no one living there knows he's a policeman. Like he deflects when they ask what he does and then because this crime happens on his patch he is forced to out himself as a policeman and i enjoyed the kind of the politics of how does he then go back to where he lives and navigate the fact that all the gangs there now know he's a policeman and it's a really great exchange when he goes up to essentially the gang leader of that area and has a, a conversation just hi i'm kurt obviously <laughs> his hand you know it's uh it, I, I enjoys that dynamic of it and I'm, I'm curious to see how this plays out there's a whole thing with his best friend who's also a policeman and vying for a particular job in the serious crimes unit so yeah, it's fun. It's 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 a noiry crime led thing. I've always got time for those. But as you say, it seems an odd thing to do a kind of a young Wallander prequel series, not based on the source material in any way, but just kind of inspired by a show that is now been off the air for ten years. But Certainly what, present what day. if that appeals? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> if that appeals to you, then young yeah. Wallander's to you. Yeah. Have you got to the by the way, have you got to the nightclubbing scenes yet with in the cube, this cube um, club, which is has a kind of key element to the plot. There's a, I think it's in episode three, maybe or four, where where he goes to this place and it's hilarious. It's like people writhing in cages in this, this, like, this edgy club, you know, uh, where there's like people weird sexualities going on, and there's literally guys right men and women who are seem to be professional dancers or they're writhing in cages behind bars. Oh my god! Like in, almost like it's a revamped prison or something. It's so funny. Um, so yeah, look out for that those sequences. They, Clearly, boy, you haven't me. been out in Shoreditch recently. This is all the right. <laughs> well, I mean, to be fair, no, I haven't. <laughs> well, that is Young Wallander, and that drops on Netflix on Thursday, September the 3rd. Next up, we have another Netflix title, this one starring Hilary Swank as the commander of the first manned mission to Mars. Setting off from a lunar base, her international team begins to sort of fracture before the real mission even begins after a fire on board shakes the crew's confidence in their commander and... And trouble at home causing to question whether or not the commander should be going on the mission at all. Beth, what did you make of this mission to Mars? I really like this. Um, I've reviewed it for the magazine, so went through all of it. Um, it's quite a generous uh, lifespan. I will see it 10 hours. But um, <laughs> I I generally really, really like this. So um, Hilary Sank, as you say, is Emma, who is the kind of leader of this mission and also a mum and part of this very happily made up unit um, back on ground. Um, and this is the best thing I've seen her in in a very long time. Like, I, I don't think she's been given a proper meaty lead role in some time and she really, really runs with this. Handles all of the mechanics of being up in space. There's some beautifully choreographed sequences where they're obviously floating mm. through uh, it also really impacts the drama. I mean, you say there's this fire on ship. There's a fire on the ship in space. You can't just run to it and like chuck a jacket over it. You have Although to think... she tries. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, that's that's um, part of part of the plot of the first one. Is she she buggers that up quite magnificently. <laughs> but you know, you can't do that. You have to you know kind of helplessly see this kind of bubble of flame going up, and you know you've got a crew to protect as well. You've got responsibilities back on the ground. What on earth do you do? Do you know what I mean? So that. 
that's that's very interesting to kind of see that heightened drama and it also looks really beautiful there's no neon lights so no. that's a win for me um <laughs> so i'm yeah i was really pleased as well it's because she's got this this teenage daughter and her husband as well, who's got um, a heart condition or a medical condition, which means that he's not also able to go on the mission, but he works on the ground as part of NASA. So they have this this kind of working relationship as well. What could possibly go wrong there, I wonder? Um, but um, they're, they're a solid family unit. And I think it's one of the best cases of seeing a woman balancing this this very high-risk work life and home life well i think that's something that really does not get shown very often in tv or film like there was a film that came out last month called proxima with uh eva green in it which very much very yeah handles very very similar themes she doesn't actually go into space in the film but it's about her training Mm. and kind of wrestling with the guilt of having a much younger child and whereas i really like the film i took some issue with how she was kind of having to break protocol to to kind of salvage this relationship. Whereas they don't do that in the show. It shows her she's not perfect at all. She has flaws. As you say, she really buggers up in that first episode. <laughs> but she takes ownership of those flaws on home and in and in the air. And you know, takes ownership of it and does both things really well. And I think that's really important to show in stories is this idea. It's something that men don't really have to deal with as lead characters at all. You know, if they've got kids at home or, you know, a home situation's like separate to work, there's chances are there's a wife or somebody looking after them. Whereas, you know, as a woman, you're kind of expected to manage it all. And this is the first time I think I've, I've really seen a woman kind of, to use a Liz Lemon quote, like having it all, like having this work-life balance and doing it really well. So that really worked for me. I think it's a bit soppy in places. There's some <laughs> real like, there's a moment where she's kind of looking wistfully out into space to a window, like listening to Joni Mitchell. And I was like, come on. But <laughs> I think <laughs> aside from that, it's really slick. It's got a great ensemble cast, um, including Ray Panthaki, who's a, a yes. British actor. In Marcella. Um, in Marcella. And who else have we got who I really enjoyed? Uh, Vivian Wu, who's, um, she plays an onboard uh, chemist, I think, or scientist. And what we get as well alongside Emma's journey is what I call like lost storytelling. So you kind of see them in the current day and then through flashback, mm-hmm. you see their origin stories there. And some of those are, are stronger than others, but Ray Panthaki in this, I thought was a was a real standout as well. So you get that kind of going alongside it. Gem- generally, I was really on board with this. Um, I thought it was it was good. A little bit soppy, as I say, in places, but like made made the right choices, I think, in terms of story. It also has Josh Chance, who I'm always a big fan of, uh, famously from Sports Night, Aaron Sorkin's Sports Night, but also for, uh, probably best known as Will Gardner from uh, The Good Wife. But mm. uh, yes, he's good in here as her husband. Boyd, what did you think? Well, I had that classic experience of mine where I, I, I thought the first episode, I didn't like the first episode at all. I thought the first episode was like schmaltzy and <laughs> sentimental and cloying and a bit twee. And it was all like, oh, she's going up in space. And then just as that happens, a terrible thing happens to her husband and her teenage daughter has to endure the most traumatic, like her mum's going away to Mars for two and a half years. Her dad's in hospital and it's all happening at the same time, which I found a bit, it felt 
contrived and um, I just didn't buy it. But I carried on watching it partly because I think she, Hilary Swank, yeah, Hilary Swank is fucking brilliant in, in everything she's ever done. But she, this is a good meaty role for her. And then I began to, as as finally enough, as the focus slightly moved on to, as you say, Beth, the the, the structure it focuses on other members of the crew whilst you know telling the general story. So you get a bit more on other members of the crew. And it was episode three where um, Vivian Wu's character came to the fore. And her backstory, and I thought her backstory was by far the most interesting and involving mm. and emotionally um, um, satisfying of all of them. I think Ray Panthaki, you're right. In he, he episode three focuses on him, and he's is interesting as well. But I thought her episode, if you like, was what that's what totally swayed me, um, and I completely changed. And I thought, right, now I'm bought Now I get what they're trying to do, and it is very middle brow, isn't it? It's like. I noticed that Ed Zwick is involved, who mm, I yeah, always associate is. with 30-something, one of my favourite shows. But 30-something was like the ultimate in the 80s, like middle brow, slick, kind of not too edgy, not quite, you know, on one level quite safe and yet very kind of, you know, very liberal. There's a very, it's got a kind of very liberal worldview um, he's always got in all of his stuff, including films and everything. And, you know, it's the kind of stuff that, Brett Easton Ellis on his podcast. So if you listen to his podcast, his podcast talks about films and TV. He gets furious about middle brow stuff and you know, kind of award worthy stuff. And this has got that slight taint to it for me. This is very, it's quite worthy, but I'm still involved and and I'm still invested in the character, particularly the kind of the members of the crew. I find the whole, to be honest, I find the whole Josh Charles teenage daughter stuff going on back on earth annoying. That's irritating me. I don't give a shit about them, I have to say. I'm sorry. (laughs) But I do care about the crew and what Amsterdam. And it is, of course, it's brilliantly made. It's got Netflix dollars in it. So by the by, its depiction of what it would be like to be on a on a mission to Mars feels incredibly authentic. Of course, we've had recently, we had the first Sean Penn mission to Mars t- epic yeah. TV show series, which was on uh, Channel 4 here. It was a Hulu I've show. I've always known as Boardrooms, the series. Yeah, right. That was like, it was, and that, but that was like, I didn't like that at all. That got very bogged down in, you know, it was like, the, that was like trying to be the West Wing with a, with a, with a mission to Mars and didn't have the wit at all of the West God, Wing. No. And that ended up being quite dull in the end. And it was not recommissioned, I noticed. And also there's a Nat Geo show called Mars, which is pretty much just doing the same thing. So there's a lot of Mars missions going on <laughs> in TV at the moment, let alone all the filmers that have done it. But I do think this is a, feels a bit different, and it is, and I am invested in some of the characters. <laughs> <laughs> Ouch. Um, I think it's worth noting as well, I forget his name, but it shares at least one of the producers or exec producers from Friday Night Lights. So I think that's where a lot of that kind of wholesome American <laughs> sentimentality comes from. And by the yeah, end of it, Jason, I did tie it. Jason Katims, Katims, yeah. That's it, yeah. yeah. And by the end, it, it's it's there's not a second that goes past that isn't a motivational speech and you do just get kind of that gets quite laborious after a while but that kind of wholesome american family unit i think very much is like grafted from friday night lights you can really see that so i think if you really like friday night lights you'll you'll enjoy this if you find that a bit mawkish and crap they actually there's a sequence where they actually use elton john's rocket man with the line about mars in it and you're like uh, this is unbelievably cliched and ridiculous and yet i i went with it I actually loved that scene. I thought, yeah, I'm fine with that scene. 
<laughs> See, Sorry. Beth, Sorry, I think James. you do Friday Night Lights a big disservice there. I think Friday Night Lights is extraordinarily good television. Uh, I think this, oh, this no, dreams I of being in the same league as that. <laughs> um, I, I, I mean, look, this is fine, but like, it, it is what it is, and they don't really make a, uh, you know, any kind of bones about that. Like, the, the poster is the three of them, the family unit, all hugging in front of a rocket. Like, it's a bit on the nose, and uh, <laughs> and I love um, I love Netflix's like emotional tags that they pin to it, which just says emotional melancholy like these are the keywords that they've attached to this show so you know exactly what you're getting in there it is very very slickly made edswick of course he did the last samurai is you know he knows what he's doing and it, it does look beautiful but I, i'm with you boyd like the first episode is very very schmaltzy and i just thought it was cloying and a little bit suffocating and i kind of i had that on the one hand and on the other hand i had the same issue i had with proxima which i appreciate maybe a personal thing and it's not a universal thing where i'm just enraged that any parent would fuck off for three years male or female and leave their child behind <laughs> i just wanted to slap them around the head and call social services and i was <laughs> just a little bit cross with her throughout wow. that and then it goes into as as beth says this kind of lost storytelling and weirdly that's where it loses me because i do not enjoy that method of storytelling i find that doing that where you're taking sort of like tangential stories and plonking them in the middle of a narrative that you're actually trying to get involved with is really distracting and it pulls you out of the story and it used to irritate me about lost like the flashbacks the flash forwards the side flashes whatever you want to call them i found them an unwelcome distraction from what was actually going on a lot of the time so uh that that was not something that really appealed to me about this either it is beautifully made it is well acted it's got an interesting diverse cast you know there's a lot to recommend it it's nowhere near as good as friday night lights and it is hashtag <laughs> emotional hashtag melancholy but if that <laughs> if that is your thing if that is your thing <laughs> then away drops on netflix on friday september the 4th finally this week we have sky one's two weeks to live which stars sean clifford and Maisie williams in an unexpectedly comedic take on the girl assassin trope think kind of hannah meets sky's hitmen uh as a girl who's been raised in isolation as a human killing machine but runs away to experience the real world and kill Sean Pertwee while she's at it. Boyd, was this a hit or a miss for you? Um, I liked it. I really liked it. Yeah, I think I think um, this is all about the tone of it for me. So I would, yeah, it was. It's very. It, it's a very self. It's it's a knowing, self-aware um, script by Gabby Hull. So this is Gabby Hull mm-hmm. who did We Hunt Together, which we reviewed on Alibi. Yes, indeed. Um, it's that crime series. And Gabby Hull is a dude, by the way, not a, not 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 a woman. Um, and I think he he likes dealing in quite kind of knowing, dark. Because actually, We Hunt Together was quite. I thought was quite kind of blackly comic in a way even though it was dealing with very violent stuff and you know and this is definitely the most comedic thing i think he's ever written but by i I watched episode one and i thought oh this is pretty decent you know it's introducing this it's introducing a setup which is quite complicated because you've got Maisie williams as this kind of young woman who's been brought up by sean clifford in a kind of rural situation away from the rest of society basically like they've kind of dodged society because of what happened to um her dad um who was violently killed and partly what she's on a quest to find out the people who um killed her father um which is where sean pertu comes in in episode two and and then she kind of bumps into these doofus brothers um <laughs> played by mawan mawan rizwan and tahin modak who are brilliant by the way i love yep. them they're kind of like for me they're the usp i mean it's amazing like a show with Maisie williams yeah. <laughs> who i love and john clifford who i love as even more 
from Fleabag again, these two from Fleabag again, but actually the brothers are so funny um, and their their kind of bond and the way they bounce off each other and they in a, they the doofus brother plays a trick on Maisie Williams' character tells her that there's two the world's got two weeks to go that there's going to be an impending apocalypse which she, which she just makes up as an off offhand joke and she believes so she thinks the world's coming to an end I think the whole setup is funny. And original, and I mean, it's got you. You, it's got flavors of a lot of other shows, but I do think it's got its own thing. And what I particularly like in episode two, which is this set piece action fight between Maisie Williams and Sean Pertwee, which goes on quite a long time, and I thought was really well done. And I think, and it's got, it's got both of them kind of commenting on the action as it's happening, kind of almost like they're going, you know, it, it, is this? Are, are we kind of believable? Is what we're saying funny and witty? And I loved that. It was kind of like almost like, and I think that is commenting on the way people do talk and live these days that people kind of are so immersed in the world of witty wittily scripted television that we're all trying to kind of speak like that a bit and I think this kind of observes that and comments on that to some extent so yeah I think the cast is brilliant all of them are great um, I love the t the tone of it and even though it's got a little bit of a kind of a you know with the Sean Poetry gangster elements you're thinking like Guy Ritchie and all of that but actually it's a bit different and it's it's kind of knowingly commenting on that I think so yeah I'm, I'm really I really like it I'm enjoying it I agree that I really enjoyed the brothers i think we have to say the the two episodes that i've seen anyway sean clifford's barely been in them yet right. so i'm really yeah. really looking forward to seeing yeah she's just like the queen of the twitch isn't she that's i call it like she just all she has to do a little twitch of the eyebrow and you're like oh she's furious like she's so <laughs> so good at conveying vast emotions with just the tiniest little movements in her face so i'm really really looking forward to seeing her expand as a as a mum who's kind of tried to shield her daughter from whatever their life was back in the real world kind of thing. And she also, it, the first time we see her, she's kind of painting this beautiful picture, sees a deer and then just kills the deer. So I think there's some real kind of inner turmoil going on there, which I'm excited to find out more about. Also, I just haven't seen her in that much aside from Fleabag. So I'm really excited to see where she goes from here. Um, Maisie Williams is great, but I feel like they are very much kind of cashing in on her Game of Thrones. Like in the first episode, there's a very slow kind of pan of her in a short dress and heels and not in a gratuitous way, but more of a kind of, oh, look, it's Aya in a dress and heels. Isn't that a bit weird? So I feel like they're kind of playing up to that a little bit. Um, but that said, she gets to do some really fun stuff, like some really like complex choreographed action sequences she's funny in it as well they're not kind of trying to make her too much the quirky indie girl which is what i've seen they, they're trying to do with her in film quite a lot they kind of you know all oh, give her blue hair and she's kind of the manic pixie dream girl whereas this i think she's got a bit more meat to handle and she's really really funny like great comedic timing she plays off the two the two brothers really well i like i think that's a really great way of writing a show where the two kind of characters you meet offhand have got a very complex story to them as well in a relationship their dad died when they were young they're very different but obviously love each other very much so I'm just as excited to kind of see what happens with them as as you say also I wouldn't say it's the most original show I've seen and it does borrow from a lot of mm. others that have come before it but generally really entertaining and I'm, I'm enjoying it so far 
I did not expect, and I'm sure neither of you would expect me to have a great deal of time for this show. Um, and yet, <laughs> and yet, surprisingly really enjoyed this. Um, hey. I, I, like, I like the idea, and, I, and again, this is not a new thing, I like the idea where they keep it straight right up until they drop the comedy bomb, where she does something in a diner, and then there's this incident in the car, and then you're oh, this is a comedy. And and I think, I think Beth, you're absolutely right. The comedy timing is everything here. Like, it is well-written, and the gags are well-written, but they're the kind of gags that could easily be horrific if not performed with absolutely perfect timing. And massive credit to both Tahin Modak and uh, Marwan Rizwan because they just nail every one of these. And, and of course, to Maisie Williams as well because she does a really good job with this as well. That kind of, it's, it's subverting that kind of Bourne slash Hannah archetype and it does it very well and with a lot of awareness and, and even down to the individual set pieces that it uses. And I think the first episode of this, I think it was still finding its feet. There's a scene in a pub, it's a little bit uneven. You're not quite mm. sure where it's going. It feels a bit haphazard. It's not until episode two where it starts to sort of lock in an ongoing story. And yeah. f- to my mind, like episode two is just genius. It's got such pace to yeah, it. The sequence of Sean Pertwee is fucking magnificent. The dialogue, <laughs> the exchanges, Pertwee is hilarious. There is admittedly a choreographed fight sequence set in silhouette where the two stunt people look fuck all like the pair of them. <laughs> but that, that aside, that aside, yeah. it's really, really good. There are comedy beats in there. The dialogue's really funny. They they do that excellent thing where they shift comedic gears like on the, at the drop of a hat and that works really well as well. Uh, just a moment where someone puts a bag of peas on her head yes. just again I was tittering madly and I swear to god there is a Kim Kardashian gag in this that is worth the price of admission <laughs> alone and I almost feel like that's the kind of line where I, I wonder whether the writer came up with that line and then constructed a series around him um, but yeah really really good and really fun and it felt a bit like you know in the same way that Hitmen was just it was fun and it was fluffy and it was just really enjoyable like this is more anarchic than that maybe but I yeah I'd definitely watch more of this and this is a comedy so that's weird but uh yes <laughs> i'm not sure if it's fluffy considering yeah there's a discussion of how much brain is left on the table after someone admittedly, dies. admittedly yeah. it has a very very dark sense of humor but it yeah. also has really fun stuff like you know fun. one brother fun. ribbing the other one about it oh where did you learn that when you got promoted to the deli counter <laughs> you know it's just yeah. it's really there's a discussion fun. of testicles that i thought was very yeah. it was very funny yeah, between the, the brothers aesthetic as well. value of and testicles are, yeah yeah yeah, they are kind of dude bros, but it's absolutely, they are doofuses and it is observing their doofusishness and yet very likeable at the same time, yeah. Likeable, yeah. oh my it, God, that word that, uh, no, no, that, that Terry, Terry loves. But they are, they're really enjoyable <laughs> characters. Endearing. And the criminals are enjoying it. There's an incident with, there's a scene with a pillow, which is genuinely hilarious oh as well. God. It's just, Brilliant. it's just a lot of fun. It's really well performed. It's really tightly scripted. Uh, two weeks to live. This begins on Sky One on Wednesday, September the 2nd at 10 p.m. Now, there's an awful lot of other stuff out this week. The Boys drops on Amazon on Friday, September the 4th. We reviewed that last week. Uh, Boyd and Beth were a little... Well, let's be honest, wrong about that one, but it's fantastic and you should definitely watch it. Uh, the Boys Season 2, we have already mentioned the highlight of the week and our show of the week without any kind of contest is, of course, Battlestar Galactica, which begins on Saturday, <laughs> September the 5th on iPlayer and then on BBC Two. I think Better Things returns on Sunday the 6th on BBC yes. Two. Yeah, which is a really good show. Better Things is, um, I think, is is, is, a, is one of my favourite kind of that's under undervalued shows. Yeah, um, it's absolutely brilliant American show set in California, and I've watched the first few of the new se- of the of the new fourth season, and it's and it's mm. fantastic, I have to say. Yeah, so um, this is the show that originally was co-created with Louis C.K. Um, until. Uh, <laughs> 
Sleep is, yeah. is <laughs> whatever happened to him happened and now he's no longer involved in the show. So you're okay to watch it, everyone. It's fine. He's nothing to do with it. <laughs> Just enjoy it. Enjoy better things. It's great. Which is also an FX show, by the way. Oh, yes, it is, yeah. Yeah. Uh, Harlots kicks up again. We reviewed that a few weeks ago when season one started. Season two begins on BBC Two on September the 2nd. Indeed. There's a Shameless on Netflix. Is that just Shameless is coming to Netflix? What is that? That's the US Shameless. Yeah, that um, is that. That's the most recent series. Yeah, that, I think okay. it's, on, it's like eighth season now. Shameless yeah. in America is a bit of a phenomenon. Yeah, it is, um, isn't it? It's with Emmy Rossum. Yeah. and I and Channel Four is repeating the original British one at mm. the moment as well. So if you're a Shameless fan, you've got loads of Shameless to deal with. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's broadly speaking it quite a lot going on but of course Battlestar Galactica the absolute highlight Saturday September the 5th iPlayer 9.45pm BBC2 watch it Beth right <laughs> shall we move on to this week's Banshee segment where we recommend a show of your for people uh, Beth would you like to kick us off alright I've got now I give credit to my brother for this one because I'm fed up of just telling you things that are buried on Amazon Prime that released two years ago. So I've, I've scaled back to 20 years because he's reminded me of a show we used to watch when we were kids. Um, a remake, Randall and Hopkirk Deceased oh, with mm. um, Vic Reeves and Bob Mortimer. Now, it was only two seasons um, and I'm struggling to think where... I think you can watch it on a few streaming sites online, but it was based obviously on the the original um bob mortimer's character is murdered in the first episode but comes back as a ghost uh and his partner played by vic reeves um solves crimes crime per episode kind of structure and he helps to solve them and it's just got a great cast amelia fox is in it one of the clips i just watched was amelia fox high kicking charles dance in the face which was really funny to me um it was really sad this was the first time i'd kind of seen a character die on screen and then come back and there's this kind of complicated love triangle bob mortimer was engaged to amelia fox but obviously he's passed away and then Vic Reeves is kind of left to pick up the pieces. So there's kind of phantom love triangle going on there. It's got a great support cast. Jessica Hines is in there. David Tennant's in the first episode. You've got Charlie Higson on board as well. So just really well written. You've got a great cast, two seasons. It was great. Yeah, I loved it. It was brilliant. I do remember that, but I did not like Vic and Bob. Uh, I, I did not find oh. them funny. They did not in any way appeal to me. So I definitely did not watch that. Sorry. So wrong. <laughs> not, not a Vic and Bob fan. Oh. Well. I mean, he's wrong, obviously. I mean, that's fine. And I accept that. I accept that. But I, I have gone for humour as well this week, which I know is a little bit unusual for me. Like I, have we were mentioning, for I have gone for humour. I have gone for humour. This humour of Comedy. which you speak, I have experimented with it. <laughs> this is a show that has formally appeared in our, in our now retired Funny or Dire segment. But uh, we talked about British shows that maybe haven't got much of an airing in the US space. Everyone has seen, but I don't think everyone has seen Black Books. Uh, not least of all because it's a Graham Linehan show and isn't Father Ted some of the some of the gloss has gone off that since uh, since he became a, a professional Twitter troll uh, strike maybe in this in this boat in a few years to come who knows but uh, but this was co-created with Linehan and Dylan Moran and it stars Moran as Bernard Black the owner of Black Books a bookshop uh, and he uh, works next door to Tams and Greg's Fran who runs a sort of a bric-a-brac shop next door and his assistant Manny comes in played by uh, Bill Bailey who joins his staff in the first episode and 
this is very much my sense of humor. I love Dylan Moran's stand-up, but I, it's just him as this sort of misanthropic, chain-smoking, alcoholic bookshop owner who has no interest in selling books or speaking to other human beings. Uh, and you've got Manny, this incredibly optimistic assistant who comes bouncing in with his long, wispy hair. And, and then you've got Fran next door trying to sort of ground them both. And it's normally the two of them trying to make Bernard fit into human society and failing. That's, <laughs> a, that's the general template of the show. Uh, I think there are three series of this uh six episodes each and started in 2000 it ran to 2004 uh ran, it was a channel four show uh but it's really 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 funny some peg turns up in one of the latter series um it's utterly utterly chaotic but it has brilliant lines i think no one quite does um you know grouchy misanthrope quite like dylan moran it like it has for me it shares a certain amount of dna with faulty towers but not in an obvious way because it's not a slapstick show in that way but in that same way that you have this particularly grumbling misanthrope who is the heart and soul of the comedy uh, and it all kind of radiates out from him and yeah i i like black books a lot i would say if you are american and you've never seen black uh black books then do see if you can track it down uh there are only you know a handful of episodes so which shouldn't take you very long black books is I it dylan books. moran or dylan moran well I've always funny dylan you should moran. say that i always <laughs> thought it was dylan moran as well except i went to see him live do stand up and when he was announced the compare oh. called him dylan moran and i'm oh. pretty sure the compare as is sometimes done in stand up the person who announced him was actually him doing the an announcement. Can right. I often do that? Fair Introducing enough. Dylan Moran, and then Dylan Moran walks out, and he's the one who yeah, said yeah. it. And, oh. yes, I believe it's pronounced Moran. Oh, fair enough. I love Dylan oh, Moran. That's fair. Um, <laughs> slash Moran. And, and Black Books. Um, he did another sitcom, which was brilliant, set in um, Simon Niro, set in about him having to go to the countryside, live in the countryside. Oh, really? Kind of against his will, which I think was called How Do You Love Me? Something like that. Um, oh, I haven't seen yeah, that. He's, uh, he's brilliant. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. I love Bill Bailey in that. He's I think he's like a big puppy dog in it. Yeah. And I love that a lot of the story is Dylan Moran driving him away, Franz slapping him around <laughs> yeah. the back of the head and saying, go and get him back. Yeah. I love Bill Bailey's stand-up as well. Like, I'm a big fan. They're two comedians who I've seen live a number of times. I think they're great. Bill Bailey once hosted the Bauer the Bauer Media Awards, I believe. Well, he he hosted the Glory Empire Days. Awards, I think, three years running. Oh, there you go. Um, oh, great. Yeah. 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 Busting out, I mean, uh, let's be honest, he busted out some of the same material on all of these, but, uh, <laughs> oh, but it's quality stuff. It's quality stuff. The man plays 57 different yeah. instruments, so, you know, fair play to him. And he's got a farm, hasn't he, as well, pretty much, on his, uh, where he's got like 57 animals as well, I think. Wow. Um, anyway, that doesn't surprise me. It's very on brand. I've picked another comedy. I, now, can I just check that? I, I've got a feeling. So this was suggested by, on Twitter, by a guy called Ivan Llewellyn Llewellyn and uh, it's a really good idea getting on but I'm, I'm slightly worried whether um, whether Terry picked it fairly recently <laughs> I don't know why I had a sudden I had a sudden thought maybe did, I'm sure Terry mentioned this or bunch anyway assuming she hasn't and apologies if she has this is um, a series that lasted for three three series BBC four created by Joe Brand Joanna Scanlon and Vicky Pepperdine first series was directed by Peter Capaldi. Uh, series three was directed by Susan Talley, who's currently directing the series of Strike that we're talking about at the moment. And basically, this was a no-holds-barred, darkly comedic look at the world of nursing um, in the 21st century in Britain. And it was and it was steeped because, of course, Joe Brand started out as a mental health nurse in real life. So a lot mm. of it comes from her experiences. And it was those characters were brilliantly put together. Ricky Grover was in it as well. Um, 
was very funny as the matron of the of the hospital. It was incredibly um, authentic and realistic. Also very, very funny, brilliantly done. And there was an American version as well that they made, I think, for HBO at one point. I think only lasted one series. Um, but it was a really, really good thing. And I'm assuming it's on iPlayer somewhere. If it's not, apologies. Um, but yeah, getting on, it was really good. And that was it, it was on in 2009-2012. Okay. I have not seen that. And I don't remember no, Terry talking about it, but that doesn't mean she didn't. <laughs> Good. I think I might have just dreamt that she did. Fair enough. Well, on that note, that is it for this week's episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. If you enjoy the show, then please send a check for £200 to the Pilot TV office. Or, alternatively, <laughs> a five-star review on Apple Podcasts is the next best thing, and we will, of course, settle for that instead. Uh, you can feed back to us in person on Twitter and or Instagram at James E. Dyer, at Boyd Hilton, and at Beth K. Webb. And rest assured, we will be back in your ears at the same time next week when we were finally going to be able to see Zoe Kravitz's High Fidelity, which was arriving six months late in the UK, but apparently, Boyd has just informed me, has slipped back in the schedule again so that's deeply upsetting however we may get a look at netflix's the duchess instead so let's see what happens there in the meantime get your collective asses to iplayer and settle in for a battlestar galactica marathon because at this point there is just no excuse not to all of this has happened before and all of this will happen again see you next week pilot out